Today's HR teams are up against greater challenges than before, not least meeting the war for talent and helping business transform in the face of rapid change. Building strong culture, having a commercial mindset, hiring skills for the future, and embracing people data are just some of the ways HR teams are evolving for a new era. We spoke to Alex Badnock from Telstra and John Chan from QBE at the HR Leaders Forum to hear about how they're tackling these challenges and their own priorities for 2020. For me, transformation has to be something that's reasonably bold and radical Mm. and disrupts your organisation. Imagine taking 1,800 consumer products and turning that into 20, while still ensuring a great employee and customer experience and also planning for the future. That's the challenge Alex Badnock, Group Executive Transformation and People at Telstra, is tackling as part of the T22 strategy. That's a plan to fundamentally change and simplify the business over three years. That's a huge transformation for any business, let alone one of Australia's leading telcos. Business transformation. Mm. What does it mean to you and at Telstra? It is one of those terms. Um, I think it's getting more and more prevalent. But what does it mean? Look, for me, it's actually a term I can be reluctant to use Mm -hmm. because I think it gets used too much. For me, transformation has to be something that's reasonably bold and radical Mm. and disrupts your organisation, the way you work, your products, your service. It it has to be a true reinvention. Um, And for for me, I think it, it means really listening to the voice of our customers and the voice of our people and fundamentally reorganising around those voices rather mm. than potentially what we thought yeah. they wanted. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So a lot of that involves workforce planning, of course. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the huge overarching theme of a lot of what you just discussed mm. then. And, and I'm really interested, you know, your company is operating in a very different environment, more competitive now, as are a lot of people who will be listening to this. And um, companies themselves are transforming. So what actually makes good workforce planning now? What are some of those core disciplines that that you look to achieve? Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, you need to truly understand the market in which you operate and what, for us, it means what are the emerging technologies which are going to drive the core skills that mm. you, you need in the future. So, like many others, yeah, we'll be talking about software net engineers, data analysts, yeah. you know, the, the themes that you hear everywhere. But then actually understanding what skills are going to decline, which are going to grow, and building a very clear, pragmatic pathway to sort of bridge that road, which isn't easy, but I think, you know, start with the core skills that really matter. I think people overwhelm themselves by trying to plan for everything. We focus on five key job families. Okay. Because we think they're at the heart of our transformation, what we're going to need in the future, and where the toughest sort of battle for talent lives. Yeah, okay. And, and interesting, obviously, a lot of other companies will be starting in the moment different stages of, of this. And if you're looking at those five core work groups or, or role groups, is that where other companies should start looking at as well? Is that one of the easiest ways to approach what is a very complicated? Yeah. Look, I think so. I think it's kind of that way for most things. When you try and solve world hunger or, or the biggest question possible, you tend to get lost in that. Mm. I think most work starts best by taking a, a bite-sized chunk, yep. seeing if you can digest yeah. that, and then feel free to, yeah. to roam further. But start with what really matters. Yeah. Your role and HR's mm. role at Telstra, interested to understand um, your seat at the table and, and, and how you drive this huge piece of work, mm. 
and then also I think to to look at more broadly in the industry, you know, how HR can help businesses, you know, as I said, go through a huge transformation piece. Yeah, I'm quite lucky because of the way my role is structured. I actually run the weekly cadence for our company strategy, right? Effectively, right. Yep. so I don't have to ask for a seat. Yeah. Uh, at the table and I think it shows actually really progressive thinking of a company to say actually the biggest challenge the biggest opportunity and the biggest driver of our success will be our people mm. so instead of putting transformation with finance or strategy yep. or many of the places you would often find it it got put with HR and that has has really given me the ability to have a very strong voice and be a core leader mm. in the business and I think has elevated our people agenda. Yeah, because we often hear from, from a lot of HR functions that they, they struggle to get a seat at the table and often these decisions are made mm. without them being in the room and then yeah. the most important aspect, the people, is then sort of handed down to them. And I'm interested in your advice for perhaps HR professionals that are feeling that, yeah. um, that they're not able to influence that process enough. What can they do? I think you've got to think about the work you're doing. Yeah. When people talk about not having a seat at the table, you can think that that's a reflection on someone else or you need to have a look at yourself, what yep. you're doing and why you should you know, have a compelling proposition. Perhaps less time on rating scales and nine box grids and yep. all that stuff yep. that HR people love, but actually you know, deep insights, data, analytics, strongly commercially based thinking and actually coming to the table with solutions and ideas. So mm. I didn't wait for T22 to come to me. I was part of developing it and defining it. Yeah. And that changes the whole whole game. But it is bringing some slightly different skill sets yep. into HR to make that work. Great. In terms of the timing and I guess the scope, how far out you can look for huge pieces of business transformation, again a two-part question, how far can you actually look at Telstra given technology, the customer set, you, um, your competitors changing all the time, how far ahead can you reasonably look? Look, in real terms my view is anything beyond three years mm. gets pretty fuzzy, yeah. but I think you need around three years to have enough time to plan, act, deliver. But within your three-year strategy, you've got to have a very clear annual plan. Yeah. What are you actually going to deliver and change? So we have very specific targets around what role numbers will grow in a given year, what regions we'll invest in or not in, invest in. So we can see that on an annual basis with a view of what it might look like in yep. three years, but constantly iterate and adjust as the world keeps changing. Yeah, sure. And, and, and do you think that's good practice for most businesses, perhaps a, a three-year cap? Yeah. yeah, I can't see many businesses today could really, with any sense of certainty, plan much longer than yeah. that. Stay across the latest ideas and conversations about recruitment, HR and the world of work. Subscribe or follow Seek Talent Talks today. So we've spoken a little bit about talent, and mm. I want to spend more time on that, and also the acquisition of talent, but mm. also, you know, you have a huge existing workforce and you have this incredible talent pool. I'm going to use the term at your disposal, even though uh, <laughs> perhaps that's not technically correct. Yeah. But I'm, re I'm really interested. The, the term the war for talent, I think was coined in around about 1997. Where are we now with yeah. the war for talent? I'm interested in your viewpoint on that. Look, I think... The concept of the war for talent is still as relevant today as it, is, as it was. Now it's changed. What mm. talent is changing? So 
and it depends what business you come from. For, for me and for the business I work with, we're heavily focused on five core, core skill areas. The biggest issue we face, you know, particularly in Australia, is supply. Yep. Um, and I think this is about making the war for talent or the supply of talent a much bigger national agenda. Mm. We continue to produce a relatively small supply through schools into universities. Yep. And we continue to propagate, I suppose, education in traditional fields mm. that we actually know are declining. Yep. So there's this uh, slight craziness. Discourse there. Yes, yeah. In, yeah. In, in that. So for me now, it's about big, particularly big corporates where we've got the capacity to investing in actually driving a national agenda, investing in working with schools and universities in fundamentally changing our education pathways yeah. and creating the, the supply. And until we're able to do that, the reality is most of us have to play at a global level mm. to source the talent we need, yeah. which can be a bit tricky. Yeah. In terms of attracting talent, I'm interested, and we sort of touched on a little bit there, but what are some of your key strategies when you're looking at attracting talent to Telstra, given the competitor set and given that some of those traditional roles, and if I'm thinking about AI and I'm thinking about data science, for example, the breadth of opportunity they have is now much, much broader um, than perhaps just working in some of the traditional telcos, for example. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in the core traditional telco space, we, we still have the coolest tech, the yep. biggest network. So lots of people yeah. are kind of attracted yeah. by, by that. I think we're working much harder to sell our broader technology credentials and have people understand that Telstra is a lot more than yeah. a tel telecommunications yep. company. So we have to sell our story. The other big things that I think we offer, honestly better than anyone else, is we, we have deeply ingrained culture of flexibility, mm. which particularly to newer generations, I think actually really resonates. It, you know, over 95% of our people believe we give them the flexibility they need to manage their work and life. Right. And it's, it's a very powerful talent attractor and retainer. Yeah, and it's a huge number for a huge number of employees. Exactly. A huge percentage, right? Yeah. 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 When we're talking about culture and values and how you can attract people into your organisation as well, how do you market that message um, out into the employment pool, I guess, when you're looking to get the yeah. very best talent? Look, I think we try and translate our values into things that are tangible, that people can understand. So, yeah, I mentioned flexibility before. You know, that is a manifestation of our values because we believe in diversity, we yep. believe in showing the, that we care. The other big thing that you can see about Telstra's values is how we show up in the community. Yep. Uh, we have a special place in Australia. If there's bushfires, if there's floods, if something goes wrong in Australia, generally Telstra's there. Yep. And I think that gives a lot of people a sense of what we stand for and gives people a true sense of purpose and pride. Mm. And again, a lot of people are attracted to that because I think more and more people are looking for a sense of purpose, not a job, yep. a real sense of purpose, mm. and I think we offer that. Almost getting back to that vocation way of looking yeah. at it, calling even. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, AI is playing a huge role. Technology plays a huge role. You, as yourself, as an organisation, um, have obviously seen a move from people doing things to machine learning doing roles, and you've had to upskill, reskill a lot of your workforce. But those uniquely human skills, the things that people actually need now um, to prosper, working alongside technology, 
what are they? Yeah. How do you get them? How do you train them? <laughs> the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, look, I uh, one, I think human skills are as, if not more important than they ever were. I think we love to sort of think about the doom and gloom of AI and automation, but they need to go hand in hand. And for us, we focus on yeah, the, some of the things I'm not sure yet that you can replace, which are the sort of creativity, yep. innovation, human-centred design sort of thinking, mm. and the value that comes out of human connections and, and collaboration. So we, we do everything from focus on that in, in terms of who we recruit and do they bring those skills and capabilities yeah. and, and those behaviours with them. It's deeply embedded into how we train and develop mm. people and it's reinforced for every part of our management system. Yeah. And I haven't found a better way yeah. as yet, but yeah. I think it's not a bad stuff. Yeah. And some of those soft skills, things like empathy, and yeah. um, they must be critically important now. They are. As organisations change, the pace of change and what that does to people in your business, means that we need to bring more humanity than ever mm. uh, to how we think about managing that change, supporting people through change, and working out ways we can still help them thrive. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people at Telstra obviously have changed careers as perhaps their roles have been um, done by technology and they've moved into, I guess, higher value, often higher paid roles um, with greater satisfaction. How often should people look at the possibility of a career change, not just technology impacting and perhaps looking to get into the jobs of the future? Are we open enough to that? Uh, look, I think it, the natural inclination is fear, to be honest. Mm. When, you know, to say, oh, the world's changing, your job's going away, but it's great, there's all these new other opportunities. I'm not sure that we're wired to immediately think that's yeah. a, a great thing. Some of us are, but many of us, I think, are, are daunted by it. and. As an employer, we need to do a couple of things: is help them understand what those new jobs look like. Yep. We, um, you know, in the last 12 months, we created our own agile coaching academy. That, right. We didn't have that yeah. before, so it's something really new. But then we need to invest in training yeah. um, and do it in a way that lets people stay in the workforce, not require them to go and do another three or four year degree. How do we micro-credential them? How do we keep feeding that learning so that actually we build that confidence and comfort with change because that's, I think that's a forever situation yeah. now. Yeah. One closing question, yeah. when it comes to workforce planning, when it comes to business transformation for a HR professional, what's the one thing they should really be thinking about? Yeah, I think HR needs to invest in data and analytics. I think for too long we probably operated in a slightly soft realm and, and have worked on belief or philosophy. Really the next bastion of HR is deep, deep data and analytics, and I'm not talking about going and hiring HR people, I'm talking about going and getting true data and analytics professionals yeah. to help us bring together the insights so that we can actually lead the organisation yeah. and planning. Just dedicated to people metrics and Absolutely. data. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how do HR teams focus on people data, and what are the benefits of doing so? Everybody knows that we need to focus a lot more on data and this needs to be the driver moving forward for each organisation. That's John Chan, Head of People Data Analytics at QBE Insurance. Gathering, analysing and using people data is just one way QBE strives to create a better environment and improve company performance. We sat down with John at the HR Leaders Forum to understand what analysing people data can do for an organisation 
and the best way to get started. What sort of insights can an organisation expect when they do commit to using people data, in your experience? I think they'll be surprised by what people data can bring to them. You know, I think they're very used to look at looking at financial information, P&L type of information, and the more knowledge you have about how things work, the better decisions you're going to be able to make. And I think this brings in a whole new angle of information that they haven't had before, and it really is going to be a differentiator between any organization and their competitor. If not only do you know your business really well, but you know the people who are doing the, uh, this business and what makes them tick, what makes them perform well, what makes them engage, things like that, that's going to be a huge differentiator moving forward. So what can people data tell us about talent identification? What have you found as the longer that you've actually started to look at this data? Yeah, so you know, my background is in organizational psychology. So I've always, for the majority of my career, looked at talent information as in leadership identification and development. So we used a lot of information in psychometric assessments, 360s, things yep. like that to identify uh, future leaders and kind of figure out potential and things like that. And my move over to just looking at people data analytics, it provides a lot broader view in everything that the person does. So it's not just about the individual, but now let's say organizational network analysis, how does this uh, leader interact with both their team, their peers, um, external people, things like that. There's just so much more data out there to be able to identify and kind of really refine what a leader looks like. Yeah. Obviously, having great talent within an organization is fantastic and your data can help you with that, but retaining them as well. How can people data help retain great talent within an organization? Yeah, there's a lot of great examples of what people are doing to figure out what makes somebody committed to an organization. One example I like talking about is, you know, QB's got a very strong passion for diversity and inclusion. And one thing that we looked at was ensuring that as employees come back from maternity leave that they stay with the organization. And one project that we looked at was once somebody comes back, if they go straight into a sort of full-time five-day week, they're much more likely to leave than if right, okay. they come back on a three-day or maybe even four-day kind of basis. So things like that can really help set our policies or kind of advisements to individuals coming back to make sure that there's a smooth transition. And, and I think it's a really great win-win for both the individual coming back and for QBE. And is that information as well that you can feed to your talent acquisition teams when they're looking to actually recruit people in? If we take females in this case, an example, that that's actually something that's highly sought after, highly valued, and actually that's something they should be putting in their value proposition when they're looking to attract talent in the first place? Yeah, that, that's right. And ideal, well, and this is where we're kind of working through. A lot of this information, it's a cyclical kind of information, everything from, you know, what we collect from that hiring stage to what we understand as high performers and then who we know in terms of who leaves and why they leave. All of that uh, should be fed into a loop so that we can continue and improve the entire life cycle for uh, the employee. We can obviously gather immense amounts of data. We can look at it. We can make uh, business decisions out of it. It may well be business transformation decisions, quite a large one. But underlying all that is, is an ethical responsibility as well. It's often talked about, and I'm interested in your viewpoint on the ethical use of data, particularly people data. Overall, I think with all the advancements that's um, happening, there's a lot of smart people out there and a lot of really great tools out there. If we wanted 
to test the hypotheses, I think we will be able to do it. There are people who will be able to do it. So what I think somebody in the role of sort of in the leadership role in people analytics, I think what they're probably more tasked with is actually thinking about should we be doing this and how do we set up ethical frameworks on it's not just, hey, um, we have this information, this you know, it could be very interesting and but should we be doing something like this? Is there a negative anything negative that would come out from us doing this type of analysis. So that kind of consideration, it's something that it's quite important to look at. Let's shift focus slightly and, and look at obviously the commercial performance of your organization and how understanding people data and analyzing that data can actually help shape the productivity and profitability of an organization. Do you have a lens over that yet? And are, are they are the two mutually exclusive or do they certainly have a bit of a role to play? No, I, I, um, we're just getting started on, on that, but there's definitely a huge role to play I think for most organizations, we are a people company. Everything we do, we work with other people. And having a look at our kind of groups, high-performing groups versus other groups, being able to see patterns within there, um, I think that's where we can really help kind of contribute another dimension of knowledge for the business to say, you know, everybody has a performance goal of, hey, we want to improve revenue, whatever it is. What can HR bring? And I think that's where People Analytics really steps up. We can provide information that the business don't know or and that they want to know on, yeah. hey, what is a good performer versus a not yeah. as good performer. And do you think a lot of businesses actually are aware and perhaps connect with their HR departments enough to get this data and start to feed it into their business priorities? Or do you think this is sort of a bit at the start of this phase? Yes, that's a great question. I think we're definitely at the start of it. I um, I think in most cases, I don't think the business would consider HR um, sort of a partner when it comes to business, kind of business decisions. You know, when it comes to people, those like that, yeah, they'll, they'll get their HR person in yeah. there. But when they have a business problem, they want to solve some type of business uh, metric. Yeah. HR is not who they call yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. And you know, we want to change that perception that we know people and we can help with all kinds of problems that yeah. the business has. So in closing, for HR departments, HR functions that are out there that are perhaps just starting down this journey of really looking at the data they're invariably collecting, and then actually feeding that back to the business and making recommendations, where do you think they should start? I think you should just do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of times we hear about uh, these really sophisticated uh, people analytics teams, got an army of data scientists, sophisticated data warehouse with all this um, kind of AI and machine learning built in. You don't need any of that. You need to talk with your business, find a problem that they have, and just do it. And from there, and you know, you'll figure out what you actually need to kind of move forward uh, and get more sophisticated in that. Just get started, and you'll learn along the way. And that's like you won't be able to plan everything out in the first place. It's this is definitely a learn as you go uh, kind of process. And the sooner you get started, the yeah. sooner you can get there. So there you have it. Playing an active role in business transformation relies on understanding the goals of your organization and being clear on how HR can help reach those goals. And when it comes to harnessing the power of people data, rather than focusing on sophisticated analytics, take a business problem and just get started from there. That's what we heard from Alex and John at the HR Leaders Forum 2020 in Sydney. While we are there, we also spoke to Ross Trigertha from Domain on efficient HR leadership. Be sure to check out that upcoming episode of Seek Talent Talks. For more conversations on all things people, culture and the world of work, 
Check out our other Talent Talks episodes and subscribe or follow to stay up to date with the latest.